Hey, it's Lou here with our third and final episode in this special series of conversations from Shade, supported by Hauser and Worth, where we'll be exploring unencumbered voices in curated spaces, inspired by the life and the work of Sir Frank Bowling. It was the first time in my life that I had the opportunity to, to get down and do what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, like I'm 24, you know. And I had the most marvellous, satisfying experience. But, but, I mean, that was one of the, the moments in my life when I knew, I knew and what I wanted to do, how I was going to go about it, etc. And released throughout this summer, the series provides a collaborative platform for diverse perspectives, investigating freedom of expression today and throughout art history. And today, my guest is Thomas J. Price. The characters are, are sculpts. They don't look for validation because I don't want to play that game. But they're not real people because I don't want to play that game. It's about making this statement of, I feel that that model's defunct and has never really served anyone properly because it ultimately serves up lies or, or PR. Because you know, statues have been PR since they've begun. Born in London in 1981, Thomas studied at Chelsea College of Art and the Royal College of Art in London. He works across disciplines, predominantly in sculpture, but also in film and photography. His large-scale sculptures depict imagined subjects whose features are an amalgamation of sources. Observed individuals and stereotypes represented in the media are mixed with references to ancient, classical and neoclassical sculptures. These works serve as psychological portraits of the viewer by revealing socially learned attitudes and understandings as they project identities onto the depicted characters. This is a beautiful conversation that I had with Thomas for our final episode in this series, so let's go to the conversation. Enjoy! Thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this series, Thomas, to uh, talk about freedom of expression, which is inspired by the life and, and work of Sir Frank Bowling. It's just a real joy to have you here. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed spending time reading and listening to your interviews that you've done in relation to your exhibited work. And and it's made me think a lot about the artist's statement. Um, it's kind of like an informal contract really because it's like making a statement about your work and yeah. and that and that's between the artist and the establishment and um the audience it's a secondary expression of the work um yeah. that they are required to do sometimes it's media interactions like this interview <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and also I've been teaching some students at Central St Martins about communication and the art of communication and, oh, and yeah and communicating your ideas to an audience and quite naturally they're completely adverse to the idea of the artist statement you know <laughs> the work speaks for itself we are visual yeah, people yeah, yeah. you know and I'm like <laughs> yeah, yeah you are but there's also this world in which we work where th this is required of us at times and and I've just been really thinking about how that might sort of affect our freedom mm. as also thinking about how Naomi Osaka you know the tennis player yeah, yeah, like, yeah. has made a stand at the moment to say I'm yeah. not doing this anymore and um, yeah. it's not benefiting anyone it's not benefiting the work um, or the audience and mm. I just wonder now because um, you know you've been used to um, 
been involved in interviews and sharing your work and having dialogue with galleries for mm. many years now, a couple of decades. And I just wonder how <laughs> oh, <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> you started, you started, well, I was reading about Licht, you started that in 2001, so that's 20 yeah, years ago. Yeah, I know, I started yeah. young, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wonder how all of this has kind of played out for you over the years as your work has gained mm. more attention. Mm. I mean, that's a really interesting question to try and answer, actually. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, I, I understand Naomi's position to some extent. You know, it, it, I think it's really a, an indicator of the level of questioning she's receiving mm. and where the, the press, the media uh, in relation to her are, you know, where, where, where their interest lies. And because mm. some of the things that I've seen written about her, some of the, you know, that, that cartoons in Australian newspaper, mm. um, have just been absolutely offensive. And I think, you know, like, as in literally, I would say racist. Yeah. Um, and to have to deal with, you know, being a, a professional, you know, absolute top level athlete and all that demands, and then have to deal with that side of things as well as an added pressure that other players aren't having to, to deal with, mm. I think is disgraceful. And so I totally understand mm. her stance and, and actually having to make such a strong statement to, to actually possibly be listened to, you know, in, in one sense. So I think it's a really sad um, situation that she's been forced into mm. where her mental health is put secondary to selling newspapers. Mm. Um, but back to the artist's statement, um, I think, yeah, that, it's an interesting one and, and it does change over time. You know, I think the most truthful answer to this would be that there's, um, there's a development to, to the answer, really. And it, it changes as, as you kind of progress or move through your practice, your career, um, and you start to build up a, uh, what should I say, an understanding of, of your practice within a public consciousness mm. uh, and with an audience. So when I was, when I was a student, I actually, one of the, one of the sort of the strategies I used when actually making my work was to not explain everything and mm. to try to guide everyone through or be didactic about it because I wanted people to bring themselves to the work. I wanted people to reveal themselves through their examination and their ruminations on what I was presenting. Mm. And so for me to say, well, the work is this and this and this and this would be to, to cut that opportunity off and to pretty much um, help them avoid tackling the things that I was trying to get them to tackle. And it was very much from that perspective, as in I was trying to get an audience, which I knew was predominantly white, to look at the things that I was being approached with in terms of questions around my work. Mm. And, and so instead of, yeah, instead of resolving everything for them and presenting it as signed, sealed and delivered, it was, I think, placing the onus on them to, yeah, to <laughs> expose a little bit of themselves and perhaps feel a bit uncomfortable and, and realize that that's okay. And that's part of this process that we call making artworks. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, that, that, was, that was where I was at. And then as people start to realize, you know, the, the meanings in the work or the approach you take to the work and, and they're able to reference a new piece to an old piece or one show to another show, mm. you know, it, it wasn't feasible to, to remain silent. Uh, it wasn't, that wasn't the best tactic or strategy to really get that communication um, out there in the best way possible. And that's what, you know, I think a lot of artists are looking for. At least I know I'm looking for that in my work is to communicate with, in some sense, an imagined audience, but 
increasingly, you know, with a real um, measurable audience in terms of reviews or critics or you know, public opinion, um, even your peers, you know. Mm. So it became um, sort of as, as my understanding of my practice grew, because let's, let's, you know, not forget the fact that particularly as a student, you're, you're really starting things for the first time and you, you might not have the words. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the expectation that an artist who is often predominantly, you know, expresses themselves visually or through kind of, you know, um, sort of tangible means mm. should there should also be a wordsmith. <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's a bit, it's, it's, it seems to be more of a modern, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to be more of a modern kind of um, criteria because of, you know, the way that we disseminate information. So, mm. you know, these social media platforms where now everybody is not just an artist, but you're uh, an influencer or you're, you know, you, you're, you're supposed to, you know, update people every day with what you're doing and mm. have profound thoughts on it. But I, so I think it was really important to acknowledge that there should be that space and that, that time uh, at the beginning of ideas to allow for an openness and uh, an ambiguity yeah. and, a, and a development through the, you know, through this kind of feedback, the sensory feedback, not just through words. So I think that was uh, when I recognized that, okay, so I've got past that initial stage of what is this work, you know, um, it, it just, I basically let the, the circumstances lead it in as much as it became increasingly obvious to me that I had to speak up more clearly and directly about what my work was mm-hmm. because other people were trying to interpret it in, I think, in the easiest way possible. And I, what I've always wanted in my work is that it's not easy. So you might think it's easy, you know, as in like someone approaches it. And for example, for the kind of the, the things that you know, are very figurative, go, well, that's a person that must be of someone particular. And, and then it's to kind of, it was up to me to actually say, actually, well, this is, this is a made up individual. Yeah. And, and to reference then why the choice of materials, why a choice of scale, why the fictional figure, you know, why the fictional character, um, you know, what the mode of presentation meant. So, so you basically start to guide people down the, the path where they are then able to to have those building blocks to then form better understandings and yeah. hopefully to present those understandings to other people so that you get to expand this, I know, this zone of influence that the work has and instead of sort of compounding misunderstandings, I guess. Absolutely. I completely understand that. And the reason why I asked that is because, um, you know, Frank was so um, clear about mm. how he wanted his work to be referenced. And it just mm. really made me think so much, as, um, you know, especially if the work is, is coming from uh, a black or brown artist and out- artists of colour, yeah. or, or yeah. you know, if, you start, yeah. if you're a queer artist, well, then it's queer art, you know. Absolutely. It, you know, and I mean, uh, this works about feminism and, you know, it's just like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, I had the same when I started my career as a photographer. I mean, people, it's just so wild to me that 20 years ago that I was such an anomaly as a mixed race female photographer and I was Mm. taking pictures of other women. And, you know, people were constantly asking me if I was gay. I was like, why are you asking me that? I'm taking (laughs) work about my experience. I am a woman. It doesn't mean that I, like, it was just so uh, binary and banal. And uh, so I can see why, you know, you need to come in sometimes and you do do need to help frame the conversations that yeah. people are having and um, the identities that people are putting on your own work that just simply don't exist. Well, this is it. I think at the beginning it's it's useful or interesting because it, they expose themselves. 
Yes. You know, they expose their schemas, their exactly. attitudes, their understandings. Yeah. But then it's how far do you want to allow that misunderstanding to deviate you or the understanding, your general understanding of your work from the real understanding. Mm. One of the, the defining points, I think, in my practice was when I presented an animation and it was only seen as a black man. You know, this, 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 this descriptor of black before everything. And then you exactly. notice that in, in newspaper articles, you notice that in like when just people are, you know, in a pub are talking to you, describing someone. And so, you know, I, I created these animations that were called Man 1, Man 2, Man 3, yeah. to remove that descriptor. And because they, my work has always been about being human, not about being black, you know. Mm. And, and I think it was very hard for people to actually get past that initial um, point. Mm. I was thinking about your use of language in terms of the titles of your work and how um, there seems to be like an absence of formalised language or labelling. Um, I started off by thinking about Licked, which we've talked about, and uh, that's one of your early works which yeah. uh, where you painted a gallery wall, uh, using your tongue as a communication tool but not using it for words. And, mm. um, and then I was thinking of uh, how you use the term psychological propositions that um, your, your sculptures are offering. They're sculptures of everyday men and women that reject... Yeah. Um, the normal kind of messaging that we um, see in statues um, yeah. where uh, public spaces and statues in public spaces, the characters or the people um, that we see are usually communicating in quite a bombastic um, yeah. and direct and sort of overpowering way. You know, they're, um, they're supposed heroes and yeah. yours are the polar opposite of that and yours is so quiet mm. and it's so expressive um and you've said um in an interview that often the most powerful person in the room is the person in the background who's fiddling or you know yeah. not sitting bolt upright <laughs> smiling or putting on a face for for an audience and I just thought that was so interesting and I think because as a photographer and a dyslexic mm. myself I only now realise in hindsight that I was using my images um, to communicate in a way that I just couldn't communicate in any other mm. way yeah, at yeah. the time. And, you know, it's just crazy that I've ended up doing podcasting because I find <laughs> words extremely difficult. That's why I have to write everything down. Maybe that's down. why they're so interesting to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I just, you know, it's just, it's just so much easier for me to communicate through imagery, you know, and yeah. understand the world through imagery. But, um, I just wonder what led you yeah. into choosing, the, you know, the line that you chose to follow towards yeah. sculpture. Yeah, yeah, another really interesting one. Um, well, I actually I do find language incredibly interesting and exciting, mm. and I think within my practice, this sort of this idea of um, not reserve, but you know, basically creating this tension or this density through resisting. Um, putting everything in this idea of not presenting the word so that again someone has to fill the space a bit like the the eyes and this this the, the sculptures i make of these people you know, they're hollowed out it's like because oh, i want people to fill that space with themselves mm. um so with licked you know licked was a piece which started out with the intention of one thing and became something else and so initially it was supposed to be an invisible piece of work which was going to kind of operate in two ways it was going to be this idea of this performance of me licking a room the resulting installation was going to be an empty room mm. that you could walk into and then it'd be the question would be could you as in the viewer get a sense of somebody in there with you like would people be able to pick up on the kind of my pheromones or you know the, kind of the chemicals of my saliva to kind of get a almost like a ghost presence of me mm. in this room and obviously well as my 
as I started to lick this room, about a couple of hours in, you know, I thought this room was just getting dirt, the wall was getting dirty, but in fact, you know, within another half an hour, I realized my tongue was bleeding and mm -hmm. it just became increasingly uh, more bloody. And so mm -hmm. this, this piece, which was going to be quite a, yeah, a minimalist sort of, not, not a quiet joke, but this sort of, you know, the, the art is very much in a position of power mm. of knowing and then the viewer guessing it became inverted where the artist as in i was then licking this room leaving a very visible trail so um where people could go and see this you know me literally putting my inner self onto the walls yeah. so it became this very visual uh record of of this endeavor i guess in a sense to try and connect to people mm. trying to connect that the inner self or a sense of the inner self to an audience and to talk about how interpersonal uh kind of relationships happen mm. uh, or don't happen you know the misfires and I think that's sort of where my interest in the the actual figures came in um, it was to it was to kind of talk about from okay so from the outside how does that affect what we think you know how does our interpretation of of a visual set of cues which I'd call this psychological proposition mm. this idea of you know because because these figures are all fictional and they're constructed I would say like kind of around an emotional framework, but they're constructed by me, you know, in my head and then either in clay or on a computer and then back into clay mm. um, to try to stimulate particular responses or to try to talk about um, certain set of features, you know, this idea of physiognomy, which has been profiled in a particular way in media and film and society to try and present that in this new kind of format. I say new, but you know, this idea of figurative sculpture and statuary is very, very old. So, but to present these images of, the, of, of black people essentially mm -hmm. in this way, which doesn't play up to the expe expected tropes of either being, you know, a, an actual individual from history who's been very successful, mm -hmm. successful at like plundering other lands or, you know, <laughs> often people think the people I present, particularly the men are, are sports people. Oh, right. Because why else would they be uh, put in this what, material what, yeah, or this scale? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's, again, I find that very interesting. Mm. Um, and, I, and so this idea of this psychological proposition is really about, you know, asking the, the viewer, what do you see? It, it bring your references to this. You know, this is an opportunity for you to pick apart the schemas of understandings that you have or have been, you know, had uh, taught to you, these attitudes that have been instilled in you. Um, and, and, and in that way, it kind of talks about society or societies and how we are encouraged uh, and sort of molded to, to think about people in, in certain ways and, and how we often distance ourselves from people. Absolutely. Who, you know, and so I want to talk about those distances. And I think that's where scale comes in mm -hmm. you know, to my work is to, to actually think about this idea of status. You know, so using scale to denote or to play with this idea of status, using scale to talk about distance or how one physically approaches a sculpture. So I always say these are sculptures about statues. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so they're not, uh, uh, for me, because of thinking or the starting point or the, the ambition for them is so different to what statues do. This idea of puffing up your chest or, you know, showing how much better you are than the, 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 the masses. Mm. Well, I, I try and pluck images which would be within the masses and place them you know, in this material at certain scales so that we, the viewers, get to consider or reconsider our value systems and, and what we have come to expect. Because I think even the people who might recognize themselves in the sculptures, they don't necessarily, you know, they don't expect to see themselves there. They, mm. in fact, sometimes are 
I find playing with these expectations that society has for individuals within it and how those expectations differ depending on who you are or who you are seen to be, that is at the crux of a lot of my work which deals with the figure. But um, yeah, I mean, I've always thought of my work as my whole practice as like this iceberg, you know, and only certain parts are exposed at one time. There's there's a whole sort of body of, body of work which supports these little bits that kind of come to the top. Mm. What's interesting to me about that, you're describing um, the characters, you know, and people are saying, well, why are they there? They must, you know, yeah. they must be a sports hero. And um, and I'm thinking about traditional statues. We're so, um, we've been so trained in how to view them over the mm-hmm. centuries and how to respond to them. You know, these figures usually demand our respect, our attention, our and our awe, even yeah. if we don't know really who who they are that's just the way that the statues um take up the public spaces you've chosen black characters they're not demanding they're not engaging in the way i mean they're demanding a response you know i'm going to be here i exist Mm. however you are viewing me um and there's like an absence of the need for validation in your characters i find that so interesting they're taking Mm. up space in a public space and i think that's quite a big statement yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the, you know, one of the main points that I think my my work, my practice carries with it. Mm. And I think it goes back to actually even this artist statement, this idea of this contract or this agreement, this understanding an artist has with the viewer. Um, this idea that, you know, well, okay, if, if you're going to place a work in the public realm at a certain size and in a particular material, so you're going to put a large bronze figure, for example, outside, it better be of someone worth my time. Yes. You, know? It better, you know, it better be of someone who's who who I could then go maybe even begrudgingly, but okay, they're better than I am, or they've done more than me, yes. and therefore they deserve. In you know, in my opinion, they I can I can understand why they're there. You know, in that material. But so when I take characters that don't even exist, it's not even a person that they can reference in history to say this is why they have the thing that you know that they're in this position that you're not in. Mm. It it disrupts the the understandings we have or the kind of the way that we have um made sense of the world you know in terms of hierarchy and status it, it disrupts that story that we have even been told or we then tell ourselves as to why certain people are, have more of something so when you see someone who's in bronze who you think was just as good as i'm, I'm just as good as them or it it, it can anger people in some ways Absolutely. or it can make people think yeah oh look there i am yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think some of the most powerful moments I've had is when I've put works in the public. And I think there was, there was like two families that came running up to uh, a piece, uh, an aluminium, uh, like these heads on marble bases called Newman pieces. And mm. they said, oh, there we are. These kids were saying that and they were touching the, the heads and, and they, they, they felt they saw themselves presented in a way that, that they could celebrate. And I, 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 I kind of loved that sort of the, the idea that you don't quite know how people are going to receive these works, but they're often confounded by, by the, the what. What is this? Absolutely. And I'm wondering now that because we're seeing such a, um, like a widespread critiquing of mm. statues currently, yeah, we are kind of, you know, as a society becoming more aligned with the message mm. that you've had all along. <laughs> uh, that you've been communicating yeah. there's an elevated social consciousness um 
that's happening around public art and Pacifica yeah. um, sculptures. And I'm just wondering if, if, if that mass consciousness will affect the way that you critique yeah, I would say that the most important thing has been the under, the interest in the in the histories of these these figures. Yes, not just in the statues themselves, mm -hmm. um, because if I'm absolutely honest, I I I still think there's a, a huge difference between how I approach um, these kind of idea the idea of a statue or what a statue could be in my sculpture um, compared to perhaps what's being proposed now. So I feel that what's happened is people go look, we've had all these slave owners all these horrendous generals mm. you know these 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 people who have got really you know horrible track records of of how they've treated human beings mm. or what they, the things they've done in their lives why are we celebrating them let's celebrate and then they put in someone else's name yes you know so let's let's celebrate another individual and, and i guess what i've been saying is you know is is the idea of celebrating an individual something that we even should be doing mm. You know, or is that something that should be the ideal? Is that the thing that we're really, should that be the pinnacle? You know, like, I, I certainly don't believe in taking all the statues down or, or never putting up a statue of, of someone else again. What, what happens when you go, okay, well, let's pick out someone from history who, you know, okay, let's pick out, I don't know, a, a person of color from history who, who has invented something. Yeah. I think in terms of education, it would be so good if that was taught in the education system mm -hmm. so that we had a proper understanding of that. You know, what that person contributed and, and the, all the other people who have been overlooked. But ultimately, when you start playing their game with, with, with statues, you know, you're on their continuum, which they ultimately control. And so they, you know, they, and I'm talking about they as in like the institutions or the government who are clearly against any real change when it comes to presentations of these historical figures. Mm. They know that ultimately they can, they can shift things back down that continuum again. To how they've always been yeah you know because it's the same game that they control and i guess this, this idea of you know from the question you asked previously or the point you made previously about this looking for validation the the, the characters I, I sculpt they don't look for validation because i don't want to play that game mm. they're not real people because i don't want to play that game mm. it's about making this statement of this idea that i feel that that model's defunct and has never really served anyone properly because it ultimately serves up lies you know, or, or PR, you know, because, you know, statues have been PR since they've begun. Yeah. And so do you want to get into that kind of PR game or do you want to draw people's attention to the things that we've been taught, perhaps, you know, which aren't true? And then do we want to make sure that people have the education and the information in order to, to present the real stories and to understand the, the potential that we as individuals have to create, you know, a better future one that where you know we don't really rely on statues because there's there's knowledge out there absolutely and i think that's also another reason why um artists as as uh, as well as activists and uh, you know are um kind of becoming more and more of a threat to like the status yeah. quo at the moment you know and it's just yeah it's that's just why trying to um, cut all the funding yeah exactly that's <laughs> it's really affecting the, the funding and um yeah. it's just crazy and it's because um of of the voice and the effect of um that this work can have you know and my last question to round up i want to loop back to this idea of of freedom again of mm. of expression and um i just think you know a choosing the route of being an artist right that's that's an interesting and sometimes challenging one it's pure madness yeah enough <laughs> in, in its own right 
But then, you know, putting your work into curated spaces where um, the majority of the time, you know, the audience has chosen to place themselves there. They've made a choice to look at the work, but still, that is still um, quite a vulnerable space to be in. You know, I know what that feeling is like. I just really like to end by asking how you mentally approach these kind of of projects what advice would you give to emerging artists who will need to talk about their work who will need to get used to that feeling of their work being out there on a consistent basis and really it's about sharing their intimate interactions with the world in public spaces yeah as soon as you feel really comfortable in something that for me is always the marker of right i need to expand i need to do something else Mm -hmm. if there's not that little feeling of discomfort in terms of is this going to work or you know have I answered all the questions I went you know I, I was trying to, to to ask you know mm. then yeah so I think it's really important uh whether you're you know in making art or just living living your life really is is to is to make sure you kind of push your 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 comfort zones the thing I've I've always tried to do is uh, you know ex- extending from that is to just really be truthful with myself that was that's why I got into the art in the first place because I was truthful about what are the things I'm actually good at. You know, I wanted to be lots of things when I was younger, and mm-hmm. um, I sort of found myself as an artist because it it fitted in with how I thought, how I you know I'm, I'm massively dyslexic myself, mm-hmm. so how I approach the world. You know, it's never A to B; it's always like you know through every other letter before you get there. Um, so yeah, but the the, the big thing was is to really be truthful yourself, feel the fear and do it anyway, but also to really try and maintain that quality. Right. Of, of interrogation. Mm-hmm. As in, like, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Mm. It's basically, you know, is this as good as I can do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's as simple as that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is, is this the best it can be? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, it either means you get to make an, another piece of work or it means you get to rework what you're doing. Because ultimately, when, when, you, when you go to yourself, yes, this is the best as it can be, then any criticism or any comments you get, whether that's in a gallery space, which can be just as cutting, mm. Um, well, okay, but at least you know that that is, you, you've approached this part of your practice, this particular work, this show, whatever it is, if a, you know, you've left nothing behind, you've, you've put it all out there. And I think that is the pact that I at least make with, with this imagined audience is that I'm going to do everything I can to give you the, the, all I have, the best that I have. And then, and then the rest is, is up to you. I do love the public realm because people are so brutally honest. You know, and, and you're in their you're in their house basically. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the that's the contract you have with them is that you've put work in their way. It might be on their daily route to work, it might be in their park, might, you know, who knows? So you're in their you're in their space, their house, so they're gonna tell you what they think. Um and, and I and I and I like that kind of that high jeopardy element of it. You know, it's a different type of conversation, which might not be art speak, but sometimes it's you know, that clarity, that incisiveness is is refreshing um, absolutely so sp- speak your truth like in everything we say well, you just sums up way better yeah that's what can i go back and say speak your truth <laughs> <laughs> speak your truth yeah well that's that's just a, a perfect place to end thank you so much thomas that's been an absolute pleasure thank you i really do appreciate it This series, inspired by the work of Frank Bowling, is sponsored by Hauser & Worth. Editing and mixing is by C.A. Davis and music is by Brian Jackson. 
If this conversation has inspired you to explore the work of Frank Bowling more, I've added links to his work in the episode's description. And come and say hi to Shade on Instagram at shade underscore podcast and on Twitter at shadepodcast1. And check out our website too for all of the episode archives. I've been your host, Lou Mensah, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.